The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. And today I have with me my guest, Vicki Penwell. Vicki, welcome to the show. Thank you. Vicki is an international humanitarian aid worker, a licensed midwife, and also a certified professional midwife. She's also educated midwives since 1981. She has been in Alaska and Asia since 1990. Vicki is a very interesting woman. She founded a nonprofit organization called Mercy in Action that trains midwives and establishes birth centers in poor countries. But she also has been very active in the um, International Mother-Baby-Childbirth Initiative, that is the IMBCI model of maternity care. This caught my attention because although it's been many years, I've had numerous interactions with the U.S. uh, arm or whatever they call that, the U.S. arm of the Mother-Baby-Childbirth Initiative. So as many of you might imagine, I'm pretty back to the low intervention kind of mindset, and clearly so is Vicki. So, uh, Vicki, I, I think I want to start out by asking you a little bit about the International Mother-Baby-Childbirth Initiative model of maternity care. Give us just a glimpse of how that works internationally, and then can you bring it to what does this mean for mothers internationally, and what does it mean uh, for those of us who are providing care? Wow, I know that was a whole, that was like three <laughs> questions in one. Can you wing it here? <laughs> That's okay. That's good. I'm very happy to talk about the IMBCI. This is something that we have used in our, um, in our clinics in Southeast Asia and our birth centers for decades. And I continue to be impressed by it and, and, uh, and write about it and talk about it everywhere I go. So the, the International Mother-Baby Childbirth Initiative uh, did grow out of something that Kim's started here in America called Mother Friendly. We already had Baby Friendly initiatives, which was, of course, to support breastfeeding of the newborn um, the IMBCI was what became the international branch of that, and it, it's just what it says. It's 10 steps to having optimal maternity care. Uh, the first about five or six steps talk about keeping birth on track as far as 
keeping it safe, keeping it as natural as possible, giving the woman dignity and full informed consent, um, adding midwifery skills and knowledge in, because of course this is for everyone, every practitioner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once we get to step seven and beyond, we're talking about keeping birth safe uh, in all settings as far as having proper um, life-saving equipment and knowledge and uh, making sure that all mothers are getting the proper uh, food, nutrition, um, mothers with HIV AIDS are cared for and everything like that. And then step 10 is actually the 10 steps of the uh, WHO UNICEF Baby Friendly Initiative, which is all about breastfeeding. So when you use this initiative anywhere in the world, it will lay down a a foundation of safe maternity care for the mother and the baby, and it holds people to standards that have been um, internationally recognized. I think 163 countries uh, actually were a part of putting this together. Um, And so it's not an American thing. It's not a particular country thing. And it it really does hold incredible standards. We've even used it in disaster zones where we had a lot of volunteers coming in from all over the world, and we had to say, this is our standard to make sure we have the best outcomes. And we can do this anywhere. You could do this in a hospital or you could do it in a tent in a disaster zone. So um, I, I, I just would love to see the day that all maternity care providers in every setting would be using standards like this. I, I was just rifling through the steps as you were talking, Vicki, and I do see that really numbers one through six are for what I would say is more along the lines of general safety, dignity, that sort of thing, whereas uh, Seven and Beyond really talks about that emergency, illness, et cetera, et cetera, and I really hadn't picked up on that before. I like the way that that's uh, pulled apart. So, Vicki, how about if I am the average mother and I'm hearing Vicki talk about this, how can I really bring that home to whatever my birth setting is? Maybe it's a home setting. Maybe it's a hospital. Certainly here in the U.S., I'm not up on my statistics these days, but I'm guessing that more than 97 or 8 percent of, of hospital of deliveries are happening in hospitals. But regardless of the setting, how can I really, if I'm the mother, how can I really make this happen for myself? Well, I think, uh, again, if people were to look at these steps delivering anywhere in the world, including in the United States in a hospital, um, they're going to see what has been um, laid down as best practice for giving them the optimal outcomes for they and their babies. So, again, it's a standard they could hold up to their provider and say, uh, do you provide these specific evidence-based practices mm, as mm, in step mm. five? Or could we uh, avoid the routine use of all these things in step six, which are proven to be harmful if used routinely or too much? And I want to point out, since this is a breastfeeding show, that way, way back uh, when Dr. Gregory R- White was writing Emergency Childbirth and his wife was starting La Leche League, I want to say mm. that was the 50s. Oh, yes. He okay. recognized yes. that... He recognized that breastfeeding will never get off to the right start unless birth gets off to the right start. And he actually became a home birth doctor based on trying to protect breastfeeding. (laughs) So when we get birth right, the breastfeeding is going to more naturally um, uh, happen and get off to a good start, too. So it all is tied together. You can't separate maternity care. That's why I love the mother-baby initiative. It's not two words. They actually put the two words together into one word. Yes. And capitalize the M and the B, but mother baby run together because we're starting to recognize 
it's how important it is to put back together, which about 100 years ago was artificially separated when medicine decided to have a specialty of obstetrics and pediatrics. They artificially separated that mother baby. So now the big focus globally is getting that back together. And so that visual, putting the words together helps people to realize what affects the mother is going to affect the baby and vice versa in maternity care. Now, I got to tell you, I have done plenty of time uh, as a labor and delivery nurse, and sometimes people will ask me, how did you get into this breastfeeding business? And, <laughs> you know, I kind of take a step back and say, I didn't really intend to get into this breastfeeding business, but I have come full circle. I used to think that anybody that did a home delivery with a midwife was out of their mind, and I, I've I think it was really the breastfeeding piece that helped me to understand we mess up so many things with the the hospital environment, with the mother not being in control, et cetera. You know what I'm going to, I could spout about this forever. I'm sure you could too. But breastfeeding is really part and parcel of that whole labor and delivery experience. Absolutely. And when we start doing all of this stuff, um, it, it really kind of messes things up. Uh, Vicki, I don't know if you're aware of this, but here in the United States, just a few days ago, as in like a couple of days ago, might be more so by the time that people listen to this because we're pre-recording, but um, uh, the statement was just released that uh, we are now to avoid... Uh, starving women in labor, which I've always thought is absolutely the number one stupidest thing to do. Yes. It's like, this is the hardest work that a woman is ever going to do, and you're going to tell her that she can't have anything to eat or anything to drink. And so just give us kind of a little glimpse here. Sure. Do Do other countries starve their women like this? Well, I just want to point out, I'm sitting here looking at step six, it's right on there, as a, as a avoid potentially harmful practices that have no scientific support for routine yep. use, and withholding yep. food and water is on that list. So again, not all women um, are going to be able to choose their, their uh, ideal birth setting, and some of them need to be in hospitals. Others, it's just the preference of the United States, but that's what's so brilliant about these 10 steps is they really are designed to be anywhere and there are there are hospitals uh, that are using them and they that can be you know that can be something that people can hold uh, as a standard and so that's been on there internationally for a long long time uh, it's great when when you see uh, a statement like just came out where somebody's catching up. Um, there's been a lot of those actually this last spring where where they have been um, different statements have been coming out from ACOG in different places saying maybe we shouldn't routinely be doing quite so much intervention. So, you know, we're seeing shifts. It just takes it takes time. It takes time. And certainly uh, other countries are, are maybe more natural in birth in some ways, but they might be lacking in some of the um, emergency care support that we have here in the United States. So, uh, again, it's a balance. We need it all. We need sure. to keep birth as sure. natural as possible because that keeps it safe. Then we need to have means where we can um, help if things go wrong. And then in all that, no matter what happens, if the birth is a natural home birth or a cesarean, the breastfeeding piece needs to be understood and and um, and helped uh, I think they, that it's an absolute statement that nothing so is going to affect the health of a human than their their start, and if they get that right start with um, 
not only the microbes from their mothers, but the colostrum from their mothers. So if we want a healthier world, that's an important piece. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on to that thought about the microbes, because uh, we've talked about that before on the show. But Vicki, I just want to kind of pull this full circle here. I have in front of me this document that says International Mother Baby Childbirth Organization. And for the life of me, I cannot see how I got it because the print is kind of run together. But anyway, if a mother wants to get that information, it sounds to me like you're kind of saying that she, in order to be her own best advocate, I'm happy to be an advocate for her, but you're happy to be an advocate for her, but she still needs to be her own best advocate. It sounds like you're suggesting interviewing the providers and really understanding the kind of stuff that is evidence-based versus the stuff that is not evidence-based and really trying to get a feel for what they're planning to do to you. Absolutely. And, right? and, and, and some people have it more on their radar that they, um, they want to have a good, healthy start for their baby or they want to get off to a good start breastfeeding or the mother herself, you know, has issues that she wants. But it all ties together. So, yes, yes. Uh, the number one important factor for how the birth and the breastfeeding will will get will happen in the beginning is the provider and their attitude and if they are evidence based and scientifically based and so that's pretty important the reason it's nice to have steps like this is because they are evidence based and scientific and then you can lay that over uh, any practitioner's practice and say does this line up totally agree totally now Everybody, you got to hang with us because Vicki and I need to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about a topic that Vicki is passionate about, and that would be colostrum. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. 
Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm your host, Marie Biancuto. I have with me today my guest, uh, midwife Vicki Penwell. Vicki, I want to talk a little bit about colostrum. There are two things that are always uppermost in my mind. One is we have boatloads, and I mean pounds of, of evidence that show the benefits of colostrum. Yes, And yet, I really have trouble convincing people that this is important. And the second thing that makes me crazy is that those who do understand about the benefits of colostrum seem to think that all of those benefits disappear after the colostral phase, which, of course, is totally untrue. So I want to really have this conversation. I know that you're really passionate about colostrum. Why don't you take the lead and I'll chime in with questions as we go. Okay. Well, I'm passionate about it because I'm passionate about saving babies' lives and also helping all newborns reach their potential uh, as far as physical and mental um, capacity that they that was there, you know, when they're in the womb and as they're born. Um, Saving life piece of it is huge because we know that uh, we could cut down right now almost a third of, of newborn deaths in the world, in the developing world, in the poor parts of our world, which is like two-thirds of our world, if every baby was to get their classroom in the first hour of life. So that is Whoa. so powerful of a life-saving. Wow. I mean, I don't think there's anything we could talk about that would have that much potential to literally save lives. In the United States, we do see that there is a, there is some mortality involved in, in not being breastfed and, and not getting colostrum. But more we see just the illnesses. We see the burden of illness and, mm. and even disease on a on a child, and um, and we also know that there's just lifelong benefits to getting that colostrum. I think what a lot of people are not aware of is, and and it's it's partly our fault as healthcare professionals because we have spent a century messing this up, and other cultures have spent <laughs> yes. even longer. Yeah. But the baby is primed when it's born, especially if it's born undrugged. But but even if there's been some drugs on board, it still has a pretty strong instinct to find the breast and to suck and that's immediate and so when we don't disturb birth like in our in our 14,000 births in our birth center in the Philippines we've kept detailed statistics 
And we will see babies getting on the breast in 10, 15 minutes and sucking and drinking their colostrum because everything in our world is geared to not interrupt. It's not that you can make a baby suck, but you cannot interrupt what they want to do. I agree. But when when big studies came out, I think we have a database I'm going to mention that was done, a study that was done in Ghana and also Nepal, um, almost 30,000 babies total in these studies. Uh, they proved definitively that it's actually life-saving for the baby to get the colostrum in the first hour because in the first hour is when the immunoglobulins are, are the full, full force, haven't dropped at all, and then every hour they seem to be dropping off. And so the, the optimal is the, the time for the baby to drink colostrum is also when the baby most wants to, when he has this sure. like just God-given instinct to hone in find the nipple and latch on and start sucking. So uh, when people say, oh, I don't think babies can do that, I think what they're seeing is is a whole birth setup that's interrupting that. <laughs> and, and when, when we stop interrupting it, we see this amazing thing that the babies will drink their colostrum. In mm-hmm. fact, I think something like 98% of our babies um, drink it in the first hour, and of those, something like 85, it's within the first 30 minutes, 85% is in the first 30 minutes. Yes, which we certainly got studies on. Yeah, yeah, right. And so we we did a big study in the Philippines on seeing if the care provider was the risk factor for the baby not getting claustrum in the first hour, and we proved that it was. It, It really is, again, comes down to the attitude of the care providers. Do they think it's important? And what we found was when we when we did the study, every single health provider agreed that breast was best and that, that breast milk was best for a baby, and they knew the value of colostrum. And yet, if they understood how important it was in that first hour was really the whether or not they disrupted. Um, we found some breastfeeding being disrupted in the Philippines even up to past 24 hours when um, that is when the immunoglobulins have really fallen off of colostrum. So we realized that if the provider doesn't understand that that colostrum really has to happen early, the earlier the better, uh, they oftentimes have just routines that separate the mother baby or or that are doing things to the mother that make her not able to really want to breastfeed like suturing too soon or things like Mm. that. Well, this is why I chuckled a few minutes ago when you were talking about the the separation of the healthcare provider, because I, you know, people sometimes will say to me about why it didn't happen. And I say, because the baby was 10 feet away and he, yeah. can't, walk, <laughs> you know, right. he, can't, he can't walk up there and do self-service yet. Thank That's you very right. much. I mean, right. th- there is just, there's no way this is going to happen when you plunk the baby over in the, the crib 10 feet away. It's not going to happen. So well, Vicky, I'll tell you something else that very interesting we found in our studies is that when the health provider is even trying to do a natural birth but lays the baby down on the mother's stomach it's less likely to happen than if the mother picks up her own baby which Mm. you know if if we actually uh if the baby comes out in such a way that it's not going to fall or be hurt and it's on a pad or on a bed and she picks it up she will always bring it first to her face and look it in the eye and then straight to her breast and i thought that's very fascinating because a lot of health workers think they have to lay it on the belly and then kind of let the baby do the crawl, which babies can do. They're very smart, but, but to make them waste that first hour doing that again is not natural. What we found was natural when a mother has her own instincts in play also is that uh, she brings the baby right to the breast. And so we do need to get him in proximity and he'll find it or she, the baby, but not if we don't have him in proximity. 
Well, you know, there's two things. I have a photo where the mother has just given birth and she stretches out her arms. Mm -hmm. And I use that photo when I'm teaching because I'm trying to explain to people, this is as many hundreds of births that I've seen, this is what mothers do instinctively. Mm -hmm. You don't have to tell them, they just know enough to do it. And then kind of the flip side is, as I'm sure you know, we don't get as much of this in the U.S. as we used to get, uh, say, you know, in the, I don't know, more than 50 years ago, but but we still get mothers who die. And yes, yes. It, the baby has what it takes to crawl up to the breast if the mother cannot That's outstretch right. those arms. That's right. And but so that's it, suboptimal. That isn't absolutely. supposed to be the goal. <laughs> that's my thought. That's exactly my thought is that is that is there is sort of a stopgap measure in case the mother can't put those arms out and get the baby. As you say, the first thing she, she does, look at the baby. I, I mean, we've seen this so many times. We know this. Uh, but also, you know, the World Health Organization uh, says that all babies should get colostrum even if the mother is not planning to breastfeed, which I think That's is just right. such a yeah. giant statement. And uh, what you've said here about the amount of deaths that we could cut down on if we could just get the colostrum. So well, that's right. We've actually found that the predictive value of colostrum might even be more than if the baby missed the colostrum, but then it had a long uh, you know, months of breastfeeding later. It's really meant to go together. The ideal is that the, the newborn gets the colostrum in the first hour, and then the mother breastfeeds the baby through the first year. But when we can just have one or the other, the health benefits would actually be better of getting colostrum than of missing the whole first couple days and then starting breastfeeding um, down the line. So so we we have seen adoptive mothers and people that have not go, going to breastfeed have still said, I want to give the baby the colostrum to give this child the very, very best optimal health in life. Hmm. So, Vicki, I think that you and I have both established here that both the evidence as well as our clinical experience shows that babies are fully capable this is normal for them to to take the colostrum and that this other stuff that we do, these birth practices that get in the way, well, you know, um, as I like to remind people, the word obstetrics comes from the Latin obstet. It means to stand by. It does not mean to get in the way. Mm-hmm. And yet so often we get in the way. The question I want to ask you about, especially in the Philippines or Asia or, or uh, other places where you've been, do you think that it's because these babies have not been drugged as much as we see in the U.S.? Well, that is a factor. And uh, I find that even when I talk with my colleagues who are nurse midwives who work more in hospitals, um, they will tell me, oh, no, I don't, none of our babies are ready to nurse that soon. And then I ask, well, what's the rate of the drug use among yep. your mothers? And they'll say, well, 90, 90, 95%. And I'll say, that's the problem. And so don't attribute that to the baby not being able. The baby has drugs on board, too, and that does affect it. Now, I have also seen a lot of babies, though, born uh, in hospitals that did have, the mother had some drugs, but they still had that instinct. But you don't want to waste the instinct. And I think right. when you have <laughs> suboptimal conditions, which I can consider a, a drugged baby suboptimal, then it's when everybody really has to be on their game and not disrupt that first 15 mm. to 30 minutes because Good those point. babies' instinct isn't as strong as a, 
undrugged baby. It's going to be weaker, and so then it'll probably fade sooner after birth. We may not have the whole hour to play with to get that colostrum to them. And so, uh, yeah, that's an important point. Um, We want, again, on the IMBCI 10 steps, the optimal is to that the care providers would be really, really well-versed in non-drug pain relief methods. Mm, mm-hmm. And I think that's something we can all grow in is learning our non-drug pain relief, you know, uh, uh, methods that we can help mm-hmm, mothers. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just uh, say before we go here that I know that the studies are not clear they're not strong we there's no way we can say causation we cannot say that epidural medication causes uh bad breastfeeding or no breastfeeding or whatever but it it just seems to me like in the days when i saw that babies were not exposed to that kind of medication they were much more eager and i loved i loved what you said when you said we've got to be even more on our game because uh they're their reflexes are weaker, and I might add, I think that their cues are much more subtle. Hey, everybody, do not go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here with Vicki Penwell. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with my guest, midwife, Vicki Penwell. Uh, Vicki, before we went to break, we were talking about colostrum. And I wanted to talk a little bit about your work in the Philippines. I have no idea how many listeners we have in the Philippines, but we have listeners all over the country. There are thousands of people who, uh, excuse me, all over the world. There are thousands of people who are listening. Now, I have to tell you that uh, just last week, I was teaching my comprehensive lactation course here in the United States, but there was there were two, actually, two women who had grown up in the Philippines, although they had not been there, from what I could tell, in, you know, several years. And when I mentioned to them about the radio show that I did with Naomi Weiss, they were quite amazed. Now, when Naomi came on the show, she is the producer of a documentary called Milk. And I asked her to talk about the documentary. She did it by looking at mothers and breastfeeding and milk and milk practices and so forth, literally in seven different countries. And I posed this question to her. I said, Naomi, what was the most troubling thing that you found in all of those seven countries? And she said, oh, the most troubling thing was that women in the Philippines were uh, giving their babies coffee whitener. So when I mentioned this last week in my course, these two women who grew up in the Philippines were absolutely astonished. They said, no, that just can't be happening. Tell us, is it happening? And if so, why? Well, I think you have really hit on something that is a cultural issue. Um, There is a very, very wide gap in the Philippines between uh, almost 30% of the population that lives in abject poverty lives on a dollar 25 a day or less. And then the other segment of of Philippine um, society, which would be the, the kind of people that would be going to school and going to nursing school and eventually coming here to work in the United States. And so there's oftentimes that, that, that part of their society that maybe they've never really even seen. I find that all the time when I'll mention something because we've, we've lived and worked in the Philippines for 25 years going on 26 and and we've always lived with the poor and served the poor and when I talk to Filipinos here in America oftentimes I realize what a big disconnect there is there uh, but in the slums among yeah. the poor if you are if if you are making a a dollar 25 a day or less um, formula is terribly expensive. It's only something the upper class Filipinos could ever afford to buy. But what happens to the to the 
the people that are the slum dwellers or the or the women that are living in poverty, they're watching TV because TV is everywhere, of course, and they're seeing commercials that Nestle and different ones have on oh, showing oh, 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 that, oh. that bottle feeding is going to make your baby smarter. So they'll oh. quit breastfeeding and they'll try to bottle feed, but of course they can never afford formula. Formula would cost approximately three or four times a man's average wages that I mean for the whole you know the whole family would have to starve and not have a roof over their head to properly bottle feed so what they do is they do buy this artificial artificial milk that they put in coffee and they call it coffee whitener but it's artificial full of preservatives nothing nutritive and they put that in bottles and give it to babies and babies pay with their little lives they pay with horrible malnutrition you see among the poor and also high high rates of of under one year uh, mortality and the actual death from mm. from bottles. See, I totally was not getting this about the TV. Yeah. I was just thinking, yeah. well, breastfeeding is free. How right? How, it, how much cheaper can we get than free? You know? Yes, it's a very um, it's a terrible part of society in that country oh. where they are advertising milk and and really warping the concept of the poor people of what's best for their babies so they feel like if they can bottle feed even if it's substandard milk which coffee whitener obviously would be uh, that maybe their babies will be smarter so a lot of education needs I think we we need to we're going up against a formula industry that has millions of dollars to spend um, and and what what we have to do maybe as breastfeeding advocates is is buy airtime and do you know make videos and documentaries and things and go on TV with those because TV is a powerful uh, educator that's where people get their information even though it's wrong in yes. this case yes yes yeah I, I guess I'm just thinking there was the um, some faith-based effort. I'm sorry, I don't entirely remember what it was, but when I said to the guy who was asking for money for this organization, what are the babies eating? Are the babies being breastfed? He looked at me and he said, well, I have no idea. And I I looked at my husband and I said, oh, I've got a lot of work to do here. Holy Toledo. Oh, me. Well, let me tell you about another video real fast since you mentioned There was a documentary UNICEF made in the Philippines, and it's available on YouTube. And it's called Formula for Disaster. It was made in the Philippines. It's about... I think about 30 minutes um, on the on the disaster of how why people are bottle feeding in in um, conditions where they can never do it right and where these babies are are dying and being horribly malnourished because of it. But anyway, another thing for your listeners who are interested in what's Definitely. going on in the Philippines. Uh-huh. I'm also thinking as you're talking, I have had college educated. And I'm talking about people who have graduate degrees who have said to me word for word that formula has, quote, more uh, vitamins than breast milk. And it just makes me crazy. I'm like, you know, this just tells us the power of advertising because, of course, that's just totally not true. But advertising is very powerful and it's how people interpret the message. Ay, 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 ay. But anyway, I want to stop talking and get you to talk about... Uh, you talk about the abuse of a, the laboring woman. Um, what does that mean, and how does that play out for breastfeeding women, in your opinion? Oh, wow, what a loaded question. We, <laughs> we have been uh, we're 25 years in the Philippines working in the hospitals uh, as a volunteer and just to kind of know what's going on there as well as 
our 14,000 babies that were born in our in our birth centers. Um, so what I have noticed over the last few years is that the world is starting to take notice of the actual physical and emotional abuse of women in labor and and we're getting initiatives like the uh, respectful maternity care uh, through the white ribbon alliance and things like that but what it looks like is that oftentimes women are actually um, physically abused could be slapped hit um, all these different things while they're while they're giving birth and afterwards oftentimes they're they're made to feel shamed uh, yes. if they're not able to do whatever it is that that the person wants them to do. So what we see a lot now is um, because there's been so much evidence about skin to skin and breastfeeding, uh, practitioners are more putting the baby on the mother's stomach for a short period of time now in hospitals. That, that Again, my experience is mostly with the poor, not in the private expensive hospitals, in the government um, hospitals. But um, they oftentimes will say, oh, the baby doesn't want to if the baby doesn't immediately oh, crawl yep, all the way up to the yep. breast and latch I, on. I've, yeah, I've heard that and too. So yep. the, ba- the baby crawl thing, um, it, it's hard for me because I know whoever made that film had good intentions to show how smart babies were. But what happened in the Philippines is it became, oh, if your baby doesn't crawl up there in five minutes and start nursing, we're going to take it away. And then oftentimes the women are made to feel shamed, like there's something wrong with your baby. So I, I think that's uh, something we've got a lot of work to do to correct that misnomer we were actually um doing pretty well with shifting to early breastfeeding and all these things until until this one big hospital got that baby crawl movie and they all just said from that point on oh the baby doesn't want to the baby's not doing it and um not realizing that uh it it it's it's you got to have the baby in proximity to the breast if you want them to absolutely Uh, well and you and I know too that sometimes babies have had some kind of I use this term loosely but birth trauma yes it may have been something as simple as just a prolonged labor or it may have been something much worse than that but you know honestly when that baby appears on the planet, sometimes he just has that little look on his face like, guys, would you all just give me a minute here, please? Yeah. I just need to regroup a little bit. And so mothers and healthcare providers sometimes will interpret that as, oh, he's not interested. He doesn't want it. He's not doing it. He doesn't like mm-hmm. me. I'm yes. sure you've heard yes. all of these comments and they're just so untrue. But would, would it be fair to say, Vicki, that if all of us would just keep our mouth shut and just let the baby do what he wants to do if he's in close proximity to the to the mother do you think that most of them will in fact at least how should I I don't necessarily tell the mother the baby's going to suckle within the first hour of life I tell her that I'm hoping that he will lick and nuzzle and all of that and if he suckles that's great uh do, do you think that that's a reasonable thing to say Well, I want to jump back a couple sentences to what you said, because I had to chuckle when you said if we (laughs) would keep our mouth shut. (laughs) And right there, you're tying into a a fact of neuroscience that, again, we're, we're trying to teach all over the world is what do mothers need to be able to. Um, biologically and and you know physiologically uh, do this this reproduction thing and one of the things we've realized is that the mother naturally will go um, out of her out of her frontal neocortex which is the the yes. uh, you know where the brain yes. has yes. thought and rational thought and language yes. and all that 
and and go farther back in her brain to a place where hormones are released and things are more uh, conducive to not only birth but breastfeeding. So yes. what we have done in Mercy in Action is we have literally uh, stopped talking. You have to prepare the mother ahead that we're going to leave her in her natural state when she gives birth. We actually delay celebrating the birth of the baby immediately. Mm-hmm. When the baby comes uh-huh. out, we try to stay stay silent so Fire. that she is still... Yeah producing hormones, and we know how important oxytocin is immediately postpartum. And then in that instance where no one's talking, no one's coaching, all of that's been done prenatally or early labor, now we're just silent. And in a protective circle, we actually have one midwife appointed to do nothing but just observe and make sure that baby's okay. Nice, nice. And that, um, that nothing's going to disrupt Uh, that first hour of life but it's very silent and in that setting where the mother isn't in her in her in her rational brain she's not in the part of her brain that's worrying is she doing it right or is it you know she's in her hormonal brain Um, that's where we see the magic happen when these babies are latching within 10 15 20 minutes oh i so love it yes i'm going to say that we've seen when we have 98 percent are getting on in the first hour uh, we're we're doing something right to make sure that is happening. Oh, totally agree. Uh, everybody, don't go away. I'll be back with Vicki Penwell right after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. And I'm here today with Vicki Penwell, who is a midwife and woman extraordinaire in understanding how birthing and breastfeeding really should be. Vicki, before we went to break, you emphasized the importance of silence. And I'm totally on board with that. I do think that it helps people to stay in their hormonal state. I've had those experiences myself. I've talked about hypnobirthing and all of that stuff. And it really doesn't happen well when we've got a whole lot of noise and uh, commotion going on. And I would like to emphasize to those who are listening, this is not a real difficult thing to implement. It's just a matter of people need to be aware of it and they need to be aware that it's what the mother wants. So, Vicki, as we're starting to come to a close here today, can you talk to us a little bit about if you could rule the world, what essential message would you give for the expectant mother or the mother who arrives in labor? Maybe she's had no prenatal care. Uh, Maybe as related to the whole labor and delivery experience, but maybe as related to breastfeeding in particular. Where would you go with this? Oh, that's a great question. I think we need a cultural shift here in America um, to understand the importance of the first hour of life and how it all plays into our health for the rest of our lives. I think if every mother could understand that the, the, the gift she could give her child in, in um, protecting that first hour. And this takes work ahead of time to talk with the practitioners about what are, gonna, what are their practices going to be. Do they have a routine that they take away babies? But, but once she's in a, in a hospital or a birth center or a home birth setting where she has set that, that the baby will be with her for the first hour, then it's really up to her to... Um, be a little bit counterculture to how America is right now after the birth and maybe tell all her friends and relatives, uh, I will be calling you, but it'll be after the first hour. I will be posting a picture on Facebook, but it'll be after the first hour. We will be taking pictures with the newborn, but it will be after the first hour because you can never do that first hour again. And the colostrum plus just the fact of being skin to skin with the mother uh, is going to build that child's microbiome in a way that's going to affect and impact the immune system for the rest of that child's life. Oh, and if there's other children in the family, it's so exciting to introduce siblings to the new baby. But again, that should wait until the first hour so that no one's holding the baby except the mother. The baby has every chance to get a belly full of colostrum and then have the birthday party. I mean, I'll make the cake. <laughs> I'll bring the cake and light a 
light a candle. I, I love to celebrate new babies, but we, we're asking people to postpone the celebration until the birth is really over. And there's a fourth stage of labor, and that's where this important stuff happens that'll never, never be able to happen again. And so we think of that first hour as the birth isn't over until the baby's had one hour of skin to skin with its mother and it's got colostrum in its tummy. And so uh, that would be my message is protect mm. that at all costs. First, make sure you have practitioners that'll that'll not um, sabotage you here. And then you have to change your own culture and expectations uh, that you're not going to be on your phone or updating you know, social media. You're going to be focused on that baby. And that even the father of the baby, the siblings of the baby, the grandmothers, uh, they're going to understand that the baby needs to be in only the mother's arms. Um, and they're going to have tons of time to hold that baby. <laughs> And I think that's huge, Vicki, because if you don't prep people for that ahead of time, yes. and I, I mean, the mother needs to be prepped, the grandmother, the people on Facebook, everybody needs to be prepped ahead of time, or quite honestly, this doesn't work. Yes. And then I want to add the other thing, which is, I'm in a really bad pickle when the parents say to me, how much does the baby weigh? Yes. <laughs> and I we can feel, wait for that, too. <laughs> exactly. But I feel like I'm a bad nurse when I say, oh, look, it, he's going to weigh the same an hour from now as what he weighs now. Can we please put this off? And then they're kind of like, well, no, we got this is what this is what we do. We got to report this to the whole world. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. This is so not important here. And yeah. don't yeah. even get me into the whole eyes and thighs thing. That's another whole show. In, in the big <laughs> scheme of things, in, in the, the big scheme thing. of things, if we understood the actual the actual health and survival benefit of that first hour, I think we would change a lot of our behaviors. And I, I know it's possible to shift culture. We just have to keep talking about it and doing it. So so your your shows and what you're doing goes a long way toward doing that. So I thank you for your work and doing what you do. Part of It's part of my whole belief system. Vicki, in the minute or so that we have remaining, as I was hearing you talk about that first hour, I was wondering do you subscribe to the idea that this is sort of an afterglow experience? That's a word that I use. Um, how does that grab you? And do you think that people understand that this is really like almost a sacred time? Well, I agree with you that it, it is a sacred time from a spiritual, emotional point of view. I also believe that that first hour, what's happening in our bodies, we can look at it as the way we were created is that a woman will never put off as high of a, of a dose of, of oxytocin, which is the love hormone at any other time in her life than she is. Um, if she's in her hormonal brain and not in her rational brain, she'll, nope. she will have very high levels of this love hormone, which is essential for her survival. So she doesn't bleed as much and for the baby. So the baby can, uh, she can bond with the baby and, per, and do the breastfeeding thing. Um, and that be, that creates an afterglow. So I think it's very much the way we were created as, as human beings. Um, it's, yes. It's not a groovy kind of out there thing. It's it's actual biology that that leads to this very very um, spiritual kind of a time, and and that's that is based again in in solid scientific evidence. Even though it sounds a little bit mm. um, when you say afterglow, people think it might be more of just an emotional thing, but it is oh, both. No. It's everything. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and and you know, truly, we've got the evidence for this, but we've all I, I'm, I'm I've always sort of had one foot 
in the research camp and the other foot in the uh, uh, clinical camp. And I've just seen it so many times. I just know it's it's really so true. Wow, this has been such a great hour. The, the time just goes way, way too fast. And so this would be the time when I want to just say thank you, Vicki. Thank you so hey, much welcome. for being with us today. It's been a real pleasure to talk with, with my guest, Vicki Penwell. Vicki, thanks so much. You're welcome. I'd like to thank all of you for being here as we each week go through these episodes on Born to be Breastfed. I'd like to invite you all to come back next week, too. Now, if you're interested in books or other media that was mentioned on any of the shows, we've got more than 150 shows now. Visit our Amazon store. I'll show you how to do that. Just visit borntobebreastfed.com and you'll see it. And again, that's Born to be Breastfed for books or media. Visit my blog and my Facebook, too. Remember that you can leave a question for me or for Vicki or for any of our guests. We will do our best to get back to you. And remember to like us while you're there. Now, if you're a professional and you're looking for a continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. Uh, I will be in mm, Atlanta next week. My courses and tons of resources and my blog and much more are at my professional website. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. Again, breastfeedingoutlook.com. I'm Marie Biancuto. I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.